Uh, well, hi, Bhushan. Uh, welcome to the show. We're going to start talking about our, our main topic, which is Uttar Pradesh, right? Um, today, we're, we're almost at 30 days uh, since the Yogi Sarkar came to power. And it's been very interesting, right? It's been very interesting to watch um, both his decisions, but also the reactions to his decisions over the last 30 days or so. Um, yeah, he has taken some very quick decisions because he knows that he has very little time to perform. This is basically a two-term UP government. They have got their first term till 2019 because at that time there will be Lok Sabha elections and hence they have to show some results till 2019. So they don't have the luxury of five years. It's a big deal for them, right? Because UP was a, a, a major, major win for them both in 2014 and again now in 2017. Right? And the vote share percentage and stuff were, were very, very close to what they achieved in 2014. So it's a good move. But we can take a slight step back. There was a lot of problems with governance in UP. Uh, and it's not just people talking about it, but I think the election results kind of indicate that, right? That there was a massive issue of governance, law and order in particular, but also just general governance, right? Yeah, the biggest issue plaguing Uttar Pradesh was actually law and order. Because under the previous government, the policemen were not free to act on criminals. Right. This is this is what uh, was a big issue and I think one of the big talking points as well. Yeah, big um, topic. And plus Uttar Pradesh, it already is a very under-policed. Because the sanctioned strength of policemen is three and a half lakh, but the state has got only two lakh, two lakh policemen. So you can imagine already they are short of one and a half lakh policemen. It is a big number and the two lakh policemen which were working, which were serving, they did not have the freedom to take action against criminals. Correct. Political pressure was very high. Uh, and also, I mean, we, we have to remember and put it in context as well. UP is the most popular state in India. Uh, we're talking about 20 crore people. That's... You know, that's one sixth of the population is in one state, right? Uh, so it does pre yeah. present a lot of problems for governance as well. Um, but let's look. Let's look at you know a couple of the decisions. I think because the media seems to have focused on mainly two things really in a, in a big way, which was the illegal slaughterhouses uh, shutdown and the anti Romeo squads, and they got a lot of attention. How do you feel about the see, two decisions? First, see, firstly, regarding anti Romeo squad, I would say that it was very much required in Uttar Pradesh because the state witnessed a large number of rapes and other crimes against women. Because of which, what used to happen is many women. Rather, I would say many young girls, they stopped yeah. going to college and they also stopped going to school. So it was affecting their education. Since 50% of the population is always constantly under fear of getting molested or raped. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, even even if we don't go that far, even I think just general unwanted attention, which is what we call it, was was a big issue. I'm, I'm giving anecdotal uh, points, but even, you know, people, I spoke to friends of mine uh, who have visited UP and stuff, who, you know, the women, they, their initial feedback was, yeah, I would never want to go there, or I wouldn't want to move, move around in UP much, because you just have this fear, that this constant issue where there's always going to be some unwanted attention, and there's nothing you can do about it. To me, the anti-Romeo squads, well, okay, it's important to, to remember that this is a police force, it's not a vigilante force or something, so it is, uh, but I think to me, it was, it, it's more mental in some ways, Yes, of course, it's great that they, they have someone who is dedicated to doing this, but it gives a sense of security, which I think is really important in a state like UP, where this was such a pervasive problem that, you know, anybody you speak to would say, I would never venture out of the house at night. Yeah, it is important because, you know, many of the communal rights in Uttar Pradesh, they started simply because women of work, one community were molested or raped. Right, and, and the statistics that came out, um, 
you know, during the elections where one of the talking points was, uh, I don't know, it was some 700 uh, rights. But the fact that most of these rights are communal um, and most of these rights are on societal issues is a problem, right? Obviously, it's not riots because yeah. people were not getting dues and not getting paid or, 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 or stuff like that. They are, they are communal in nature and that's a bad thing. So law and order is a big issue. The, the, the legal slaughterhouse is one because I think it ties in anyway to law and order. But the legal slaughterhouse is one was, was very interesting not just because I think there's there's no really two sides to this problem, right? If the slot if something is illegal, then it's illegal, right? It's not like a debate, right? Anymore, the statistics that were coming out were like there's only one, two maybe slaughterhouses in UP that are that are legal. This is horribly worrying. Yeah, because what used to happen is the illegal slaughterhouses they did not have any sanitation standards. So many of the slaughterhouses they used to pour all the waste the waste which is generated in slaughtering animals like the blood of animals or many other things they used to simply pour pour the waste either on the roadside right. or they used to dig a hole and then all the waste all the blood and was they it went to the ground directly but but like food regulations and there's a reason these regulations exist right because when you are dealing with things that can go bad and and uh, you know, just general sanitation as well. The food yeah. that's being served to people down the road, because obviously it goes from slaughterhouse to a vendor, to a restaurant, to someone's plate, right? Another thing is that as the slaughterhouses were illegal, they were not, they, they were under no obligation to keep an account of the animals and the source from where they got the animals. So most of the slaughterhouses, illegal ones, they used to run their businesses on stolen cattle. I think the problem is end to end, right? It's the sourcing, the the, the processing, yeah. the everything. Because when it's not regulated, nobody's inspecting it. Nobody's doing anything. And in fact, they're not even nobody's licensed, doing right? Anything. It's, it's so bizarre. I mean, and it's funny because obviously my question is, if there's only one or two or a, or a very, very single digit percentage kind of situation of legal slaughterhouse, how is this not? something that came up before the election see quite this is quite obvious that the owner of the illegal slaughterhouses had patronage from various political parties yeah this i mean that's and that's what i'm getting at right i think that there is clearly this was sanctioned like you can't we can't just pretend like this was not something that they didn't they just didn't know about right not at this scale and just a quick note yeah. because because of this entire gang of stealing cattle many families many families whose cattle was stolen regularly, they had to suffer perpetual po poverty because of it. You buy a milch animal, it gets stolen. Once again, you buy another animal, again it gets stolen. So you are not getting the milk for which correct, you correct. Or, a, or any benefit for that matter. Yeah, any benefit. I mean, you're not yeah, getting a benefit because there's no way to claim anything. There's no way to do anything with that, right? Because the police, as usual, the police did not do do anything because there was yeah, an entire organized gang behind this. Ah, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, like I said, the more the more decisions that are getting taken, and, and the more you hear, it's it just it's more startling. Yeah. Um. You know, there's there's a uh, there's another. Um. You know, there was also the one where uh, these ration cards were given out, right? Uh. With uh, with Akhilesh Yadav's face on them, um. As a way of like identifying, you know, for rations and stuff. And yeah, this is height of nepotism. Right, and, and 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 it's a violation too because um, you know how the rule, the model code of conduct rules are that the ruling party cannot have um, you know anything to do with their their brand, so to speak, their political brand, whether it's a leader, whether it's a name, open and visible during elections. So 
similarly as we know like in delhi the election commission instructed that you know the word aam aadmi uh, when it pertains to certain things has to be removed during the mcd elections uh, various uh, posters and stuff uh, of the bjp yeah. as well were asked to be closed because it's you know ruling party can't have that but these ration cards are all over the place right and yeah, then it's a government issue there's this government issue item uh, that's not bearing only ration some... cards during akhilesh yadav they had a scheme to distribute laptops and in those laptops what used to happen is the wallpaper belonged to the, <laughs> the wallpaper had a photo of mulayam singh yadav I think the, that wallpaper the laptop used to hang really so it was a locked thing heights of nepotism the other so the other one that uh, the, you know the uh, yogi sakade which was the the gutka and the pan ban at least in in terms of government households and stuff um, i'm mentioning this only because there was an interesting report uh, that ani published which was that uh, one of the drivers of yogi adityanath's cavalcade was fined 500 rupees because he violated this order uh, which i thought was uh, both interesting but also yeah. setting a good example yeah this is good because you know if there are rules they have to be implemented otherwise there's no use of those rules yeah i think it sets a good example i mean or rather it it hopefully will set a good example uh, let's talk about another one which i thought was good as well which is um, so the we're talking about ending holidays um, for historical figures yeah i would say this is a very good decision initially it may seem like something a very small thing but if you see today's generation many students i would say many students are not aware about our great leaders they just know their names that's it right they are not aware of their lives they are not aware of the struggles this decision is very important because if you have to build a new generation then the new generation should know about our historical great about our historical figures in fact in in yogi adityanath's uh, yogi adityanath's announcement when he mentioned that this is something that they are looking to do he actually said that most of the time uh, the children just know it's a holiday they don't even know why it's closed you know it's some jayanti that's that's all that's all you learn right yeah. is xyz jayanti um, so there's two aspects that he raised in his announcement well, one was you know children not knowing is not a good thing and then second was uh, number of working days so normally what he he said is the the, the rule books and and things average that an av- you know a school working calendar should contain about 220 working days and he said with all these extra things they are actually coming to about 130 140 so we're talking about 80 days difference in the year yeah and if you see to our historical figures there are many figures from which the students can learn a lot of things if they go into a detailed study of those figures life if they have to go into a detailed study at a later stage initially they should have some basic information regarding those personalities for example if you see there is uh, recently we had ambedkar jayanti ambedkar is revered as a god amongst many people in india but if you ask them about his views on various issues many of them would would have a blank face because they have not read ambedkar yeah i was listening to uh, uh, another podcast that was talking about ambedkar jayanti in particular um and was raising this and i also saw it in a lot of the literature that came out as jayanti does you know around ambedkar jayanti which was Yeah, yeah, he wrote the, you know, he drafted the constitution, and yeah, yeah, he was a great Dalit leader. But then, this is where the misunderstanding comes. You have reduced right. Baba Sahib Ambedkar to a Dalit leader only, whereas right. if you read his books, if you read his arguments, you will realize that he is a national hero, not just a Dalit leader. And not only that, I mean, he had strong views on on things like reservations and 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 exactly the issues that you know the, these the views most, are counter of. 
he was one of the most foresighted politicians we ever had in our history um just just for context because i, I um, but in terms of context so they, well, the another thing that i, I want to make sure that it, it is said also is not only did they say that they would try and reduce these holidays uh, but also that they would instead dedicate the day to teaching the students about the leader uh, yeah. on that day as a well, which is i think which which makes the decision a good one because if it's just yeah, well, let's cut out the holiday that's not enough yeah this is what means you are not just adding a day you are adding a quality day to the student's life exactly yeah it's it's making a, a good difference all right so uh, i i wanted to leave this for the end because um, the power discussion is a big one and there's a lot of points to do there um, one of the very very early things in the first few days um, you know the cabinet sat down and and, and did uh, union minister which is the the central government minister for power which is shri piyush goel and uh, shrikant yeah, sharma who is the minister of power for up um, you yeah. know sat down within the first week and put out a a, a comprehensive plan for power in up uh, and a couple of things i i just want to mention about that plan was a um, the entire very very strong push for legal connectivity so a lot of people are are essentially cannot call it stealing connections but that's what they're doing which is a you know the point is somewhere in the in the village or in the town or whatever and then everybody just sort of hooks up to that um which was a, which is a big issue in up and and they want to address that they've offered free connections so for anybody that is the registered below poverty line family they would get a free connection for anybody that is just above poverty line they would get a financing option Uh, which is 100% finance for the you know for establishing the connection and so on and if you are someone with an illegal connection and want to move over you would get 100% amnesty just to encourage people to um separating things like uh, actually having dedicated powers so separating industrial feeders from house feeders from fa- agricultural feeders um and uh, and a focus on 24/7 electricity by 2018 which is tied into the central government's plan which is that by may 2018 power will reach every village in the country that means and if you see this scheme you will see that it is a replica of, of what mr narendra modi did in gujarat when he was chief minister even in gujarat the problems were very similar there were illegal connections then agriculture and the normal usage had the same feeder lines yeah this was a, this is a big issue in india i think in general as well so they are planning to replicate in up what modi has already successfully done in gujarat correct and and also um and i think it's important as well because uh one of the big issues and it was an issue when he was in gujarat which was uh, you know farmers were getting free electricity as an example it was, and it was it was actually pretty harmful because what was happening as a result it was encouraging this single feeder business because the power companies and the discoms did not want to invest in better power or better things because they were not making any money off of those connections um, yeah, and i think that that was you know that was one of those big things where you said okay let's get quality electricity at a cost rather than you know crappy electricity for free yeah modi modi corrected the mess in gujarat means the power mess in gujarat in 1000 days right and if right. you see this scheme the target is somewhat similar maybe they don't have 1000 days but yep. now they they will have the experience of piyush goel at the central level as well as mr modi you had done the thing in gujarat and and i i should i mean you know credit where it's due i mean i i i personally think i mean yogi adityanath is a is a hard taskmaster from everything that i understand about him he 
he's not a he's not someone who will take things lightly because he is a very grounded politician he has he has got his ears to the ground not just in eastern up so he is not someone whom the whom the bureaucrats can easily fool by saying that we are doing this when they are not doing anything actually no and i i expect that i mean you know if if they have to hit the various targets they are trying to hit by 2019 or 2018 in the case of power uh, you know you need someone who's on the game uh, from day one so i mean we've yeah. discussed about seven or eight decisions um you know in 10 minutes um so it's it's you know there are quite a lot of things um if it regards to the power uh, situation as well there there were a couple other things i mean on energy efficiency as well what they're doing is they're essentially modeling uh, what what is the pan india strategy that the central government has towards energy efficiency uh, but bringing it to up and i think the numbers uh, are about they're going to be distributing about 10 crore led bulbs for free and then after that at a at a small charge uh, they're going to replace all the street lights all over up with leds um so again they they are keeping the same focus on energy efficiency which is a big push by piyush goel at the center as well uh, you know all yeah. on the national highways you know they're working on leds and things yeah and you know these things matter a lot more than what they seem because sure. because you know the more ener- the more there is energy efficiency the lesser energy the lesser will be the pollution caused by the thermal power plants because then the electricity which will have to be generated will also reduce yeah and and in fact um, and of course the you know I, i mean to to an individual it's you know it's the cost of his connectivity which is about the cost of his electricity but then when you look at it at a at a district level or a state level or even at a pan india level I mean, the savings in in electricity start multiplying very very quickly um, and the government has put out um, at the end of the last fiscal year there were some stat, you know statistics which i'll try and share um you know on total savings uh, that are expected in the next fiscal um because of this push for leds and stuff i mean india is in a very precarious situation because uh, you know we're, we're at that stage about where things like the the paris agreement and other initiatives are, are taking place in parallel while india still has huge demands for electricity um so it's it's good that they're keeping those two things together and i think maybe sometime we'll do a more detailed analysis of uh, you know the power and the paris agreement and everything but specifically for up i think it's it's great um that there is they're putting the necessary strategies in place we do want to see them implement everything uh, and i think it will be huge for india because just the sheer volume of what up can do towards lifting and pushing things forward up alone so, yeah. if it has got a good government and if up gets on track it alone can solve at least half the problems of india yeah exactly this is what i mean like a lot of indicators or pan india stuff uh, you know they they, they come UP, out of up just because of the sheer volume yeah because up has got a lot of talent just Correct. that it was not being harnessed because of the wrong policies of the previous government so i i think overall i think you know at this point i mean 30 days in what we can look at is to say okay we're seeing some good moves we have to see it implemented uh, and and go from there and really um, you know a year and two years down the road we'll we'll reflect back on these decisions and see how well they're implemented a report came out yesterday a survey firm called the gao connection uh, conducted a, a small survey of up in a way to sort of assess you know what the general population mood is you know with the new government in in, in place i will state up front that you know only 2000 people were surveyed which is a very small number when you look at up as a whole but they they covered these 2000 people across about 20 districts out of 75 uh, and about 200 administrative blocks out of 820 a small percentage about 20% of you know overall picture but it was just to give i, I think it's interesting to look at it from a, okay yeah, it's it's a, here's some feedback and what it states and i'll post a full link in the show notes um overall the what the survey said was a 
uh, about 62% of the population gave the government a, a positive approval rating. When asked specifically about Yogi Adityanath's government and the direction, 71% said they're working in the right direction. What was interesting to me was they did a breakdown of what people thought were the most important decisions. And surprise, surprise, the illegal slaughterhouse ban ranked number one uh, at 38%. Uh, law and order, uh, in fact, the anti-Romeo squad came second at 25%, so a big gap. But it was very popular among women. So 38% of the women thought this was the biggest and the most impactful change that had happened. Uh, 58% of the people felt that the central government schemes will finally reach them. I, I think you've taken a look at the survey, right? Did you? Yeah, so I agree with the, I think these findings may be very realistic because right. just like you said that anti-Romeo squad is the most popular decision amongst women. Now here it so happens that men are usually less affected by the things which affect women. So a woman would see anti-Romeo squad as the most popular and most important decision. But uh, since men don't have to face all the problems which women are facing, so men may be focused more on things like illegal slaughterhouses. Uh, perhaps, yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, the illegal slaughterhouse to some extent, both both the points, in fact, the slaughterhouses and the anti-Romeo squad reflect a law and order thing. Uh, but anti-Romeo squad more so. So I, I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, the, but the banning of the Pan and Gutka also reached uh, the top five, which was it was about 12 or 13 uh, percent. The Gao connection seems to have a decent reputation in terms of doing these kind of, you know, logistical surveys. So uh, I think it's a small sample size and may not necessarily be the best indicator, but it's a good starting point to say, you know, 30 days in, uh, here's what the ground says. Yeah, this so, is a good, a good starting point. Uh, we're going to move into our next topic. Before we do that, I'm just going to put a word out here, which is, um, you know, we're, we're sort of doing these podcasts uh, with an idea to, to look at India, look at discussions around India and try to find uh, yeah, both interesting topics, but also interesting um, discussions around various things uh, whether it's UP or whether it would be something else tomorrow so we'd love to hear you know feedback from listeners on topics they'd like us to hear uh, talk about sorry um, which you can you can either comment on or, or send us over Twitter or whatever if there are people out there that want to be part of the discussions that want to join us on a podcast and discuss something that matters to them that reach out to us we'll see what we can do with that all right so we're gonna move to um, infrastructure and investments. There's been a lot of news, but it's happened in bits and pieces. And I think it's important to sort of look at them. We're going to focus on the, the Japanese investment in a second. But overall, we know that um, overall statistics for FDI especially has been on the rise over the last two or three years. Um, why don't you fill us in first on uh, what's the plan in Maharashtra with the 8,600 crore investment? See, in Maharashtra, there is a project called Mumbai Trans Harbor Link. Now this project is basically a bridge, uh, I think around 22 kilometers long bridge, which will connect Sivri, which is located in Mumbai, to the port, neighboring port of Navasheva, which is located in Navi Mumbai, which is a neighboring city of Mumbai. Right. So as you so 22 kilometer, it is most likely going to be the longest bridge in India. And it is going to be over the Thane Creek, which is a part of the Arabian Sea. So this project was, means it was being discussed since past many, many years. I think right. first time this project was proposed was somewhere in 1960s. So it's a very old project. But uh, due to the lack of interest of the previous governments, this project was not, it was simply not taking off, despite being a very important project. 
the japanese government through its international agency there is, in japan there is an agency japan international cooperation agency known yeah. as jica jica so this jica has decided to provide to give a loan of rupees 8600 crores for this mumbai trans harbor link project and this will be at a very nominal interest rate yeah and i mean and it's, also, it's normal i mean it's it's a, it's part and parcel of a lot of cities and this is how these things work so getting investment particularly for investment is a good sign in terms of you know investment confidence so even for the bullet train project japanese government through this through this agency jika it had right. provided a loan of rupees 79000 crores which is around 80% of the entire project cost of which is rupees 97000 crores right so, and this loan was provided for a period of 50 years with an initial moratorium of 15 years so overall this loan will be repaid over a period of 65 years at right. an interest rate of 0.1% so you can imagine right. if you go deep into the into the achievements of this foreign trips you will see that a lot more a lot more money is coming back to india compared to what is spent by mr modi on his foreign trip no sure i mean i, I and that's what i mentioned up front as well the fdi numbers are going up i mean we are currently yeah. the leading country in the world when it comes to fdi which makes sense considering our size for the delhi metro project the japanese government had provided loan at an interest rate of 1.5% so from 1.5% the japanese have come down to 0.1% so these are going right. to drive the two countries even more closer and i sure. think india yeah. japan relations are one of the most important for us considering the common interest of these both these countries a couple couple more projects that i want to just briefly mention the asian development bank has put in nearly about 2300 crores same road infrastructure in madhya pradesh which is actually piggybacking off of another uh, i think it's 3000 crore investment already declared uh, you know for madhya pradesh by for investment another interesting one that that i thought you know deserved its attention as well was that 100 million dollars was being or is being given by the world bank Uh, to Uttarakhand, and this was one of the one of the big decisions that came out after the new government formed in Uttarakhand. And I thought this project was super interesting because unlike normally what is you know things like as we see railway infrastructure, roads or trains or whatever, um, this project was to improve healthcare infrastructure, including hospitals, ambulance services, um, you know, and 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 meeting targets towards you know response times for emergency services and things like that. Which coming from the World Bank is is a good sign again because the World Bank has pretty strict. you know requirements when they invest in things in terms of their uh, payback times and their expectations and so on so again i, I think it's uh, you know for me this is these are good signs i mean not only infrastructure but also if there's a focus on on healthcare uh, which in certain places we know for a fact is 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 very poor one more thing which we should notice is that our prime minister mr modi he has also built a personal rapport with the current president of the world bank they meet yeah, each other very frequently and the world bank president had also praised mr modi when he had completed one year of his government right and they had uh, in fact and, good comments on demonetization also yes and the world bank it is not an organization which you can take lightly they have got their Correct. experts if the world bank is providing such large loans for india that means that they trust the government to use the funds properly um so i was reading the the requirements for you know this healthcare the the health systems development project the money although allocated and 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 given provincial you know uh, approval for 100 million dollars is going to be released on specific proposals 
that will be submitted to the world bank and gotten approved individually at an individual project level so it's not like 100 you know 100 million just given and then you pay us back in x number of years but it's okay show us step a that you are going to take for um, you know health systems in uttarakhand and accordingly okay we'll issue you the first 10 million this is the correct way to give loans this prevents misuse of funds what they've done is they've submitted initial you know proposals to say here's everything we want to do and it's going to cost us about you know 100 million and then now that they've gotten that approval individual projects will be reapproved at a project by project and these um, are the things which will actually change india for the better but if you sure. see these things do not find a mention in the mainstream media they will be mentioned on the 10th page of the newspaper <laughs> or in headline headline number 70 of the 100 headlines which the news channels put in minute yeah, ahead, headlines and all those nonsense Correct. Um, yeah. Should be at the number one, but on number one you will always find some nonsense crime news. Uh, one last point before we close up, which is, uh, in fact, Arun Jaitley. Then this news news came in just this morning. So Arun Jaitley is off to the US. He's actually meeting both the IMF and the World Bank. Um, so I'm expecting that there will be further announcements, uh, you know, over the next few days relating yeah. to. initiatives taken between got imf doing things and we just mentioned the world bank but i think you're going to hear some yeah, stuff yeah because coming. mr jetley is a very good negotiator and a bargainer as well right um so let's wrap up here uh, thanks so much pushan for your time